Welcome to the Send and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Louis Nichols. In my day job at Sparkloop, I spend all my time helping the best newsletter operators and media brands in the world to grow their audiences. So I get to see firsthand what growth tactics, strategies, and channels actually work, which ones you should copy, and what mistakes you should avoid. And now, with this podcast, you get that access too. Every week, I sit down with a different guest, from industry experts to successful operators, and we go deep on the stuff that you need to know so you can become really effective at growing and monetizing your email audience. Today, I'm joined by Jacob Donnelly. As well as being general manager of B2B at Morning Brew, Jacob's the creator behind a media operator, one of my absolute favorite publications for clear, useful thinking on the world of digital media. Let's kick things off by talking about the day job. Jacob, when most people think of Morning Brew, they probably think of the daily newsletter. Can you give us a quick rundown of what B2B actually means at Morning Brew? B2B at Morning Brew is a, is a few years old now. Basically, when, when Morning Brew got its start, it was just the daily newsletter. The idea was we had this great newsletter for general business news and subscribers every morning could depend on getting that information. But there's only so much room in a newsletter that you can really spare for all the various business stories out there. And so we started to talk, and actually this is prior to my time, started talking about how do we serve other industries. The first product they built before my time was Emerging Tech Brew. And the idea was, let's go deeper into emerging technologies. Then they launched Retail Brew, which was the first real attempt at serving a very specific industry with you know, really important information specific to people who work in that industry. Then they launched Marketing Brew. I joined November 2020. We launched HR Brew. And this year we're launching IT Brew and CFO Brew. And we have another one launching in the fall. The idea really with B2B specifically is let's find industries and or job functions that we can provide information to help professionals make better decisions. And ultimately that's what we're trying to do. And so far it's been going really well. I I guess in a sense, a media operator is... There's, there's a bit of overlap there, right? That's also a very kind of niche B2B specific thing as well. Candidly, the only reason I have my job today is because of a media operator. I launched the newsletter as a very focused publication on building media businesses, but right from the get-go, I had a stance towards sustainable media businesses. So early on, you know, I was pretty negative on some of the big, massive media companies that hadn't really achieved anything other than just scale without any operating margin or anything like that. I wrote a lot about B2B in the newsletter, and that's how Austin and Alex, the co-founders of Morning Brew, found me. At this point in my career, I am all in on niche media, whether it's AMO or the, you know, seven newsletters and franchises we'll have at the end of this year. I'm all in on, on niche media. Great. I mean, it's it's an interesting progression for Morning Brew, right? I think going from broad to niche, I can think of examples of, of companies that have gone the other way around that started off very niche and expanded, going the opposite direction, sort of this broad appeal and then, then niching down. That's more unique, I think. What were the challenges or, or kind of what challenges did you see there? I don't know if we really saw many challenges. One of the nice things about Morning Brew when I launch a new franchise is... I have that daily audience. So if we use HR Brew, for example, we launched that in October. It's now March and we have over 90,000 subscribers. When we launched the newsletter, we had about 45,000. Now, 
a lot of those early subscribers came from the daily newsletter. So we had that very high top of the funnel, right, which serves all business news. And then we can pick industries and, and start to push people down a funnel where we get fewer subscribers, but the amount that we can charge for advertising is significantly greater. So it's actually been a real nice benefit versus the way that most media companies do it. And this is simply because of how they get their start. They'll pick one industry, they'll serve that industry, and then they'll launch into another one that theoretically is tangent is, is related in some sort of a way, right? So that way you have some audience overlap, you can promote the second product, and then you do another one and you do another one. Because we started as a business newsletter, we had such a broad audience that we could then push people down. Now, the difference of that versus like a generalist news company is because we were just a newsletter, we were forced to be very focused on like the right stories that would go into each of the, into, in, into each of the cards in the newsletter, which limited how much content we had to create versus like if I, if I decided tomorrow I wanted to try to launch a competitor to Bloomberg, for example, right? I would have to hire a ton of reporters and a ton of editing support and it would just be cost prohibitive, right? Whereas Morning Brew could provide a snapshot of business news every single morning with a small team. I mean, when I joined, there were 60 people and that was after we had already started to grow quite considerably. So our format gave us an advantage to cover a wide topic without having to cover the wide topic so massively, which is why our wide to narrow kind of worked out the way it did. Brilliant. That's, that's, that's an excellent point about having the kind of the, the audience waiting there already eager for more. I mean, with, with AMO, obviously, you, you didn't have that luxury, right? You were starting pretty much from, from scratch. Can you walk me through the, the early days of that in terms of audience growth, maybe, you know, first 10, 100,000 subscribers? Sure. So I started AMO completely on a whim. Honestly, I really just early on, I fell in love with what Substack was doing. And I loved how easy it was to use Substack, which is ironic considering where I am now. And so one day I just decided to spin up a site on Substack. I wrote my first piece. Um, I wrote the piece before my girlfriend even knew I was doing it. You know, she was... I live in a one bedroom apartment. And so my desk is out in the living room and she was on the couch seven feet from me. And I was typing furiously on a Friday night. She had no idea what I was doing. And I published before she asked like, what, what are you even doing? So there was no real rhyme or reason behind the launch of AMO growth. I mean, I started to tweet about it a little bit, right? Like my hope with AMO was if I write really good information, right? And I put myself out there regarding my opinions in media. Would other people who shared those opinions be interested, right? Because I am a natural introvert. And so I needed an outlet to meet people in media. So my hope was, if I write interesting things, people will follow me, people will subscribe, people will respond. And it started to work, right? Like, about a month or two after I started getting emails from, I think the first time I got an email from Alex at Morning Brew was probably two months after I started. I started finding interesting investors were signing up. You know, I think the first real big moment I realized that this was actually maybe something was when Sean Griffey at Industry Dive signed up. He subscribed, he read my stuff, he then tweeted about it, and I can literally see like the spike. I think I like, 3x'd my subscriber base in one day because of him saying, hey, just found this really interesting newsletter. 
but most of my growth has really just been focus, you know, write good pieces, put them out on, on Twitter. But I think more than that, I think it's just word of mouth at this point, people just kind of sharing it internally. Now you asked up to a thousand. What I can say is another big driver of growth for me was when I left Substack. I wrote a piece that was why I left Substack. And I really broke down like all my rationale, you know, I, they couldn't decide if they were a B2B company or a B2C company, who was their customer, product development was slow, all of that. That remains like one of the biggest drivers of subscribers for me to this day, or at least free newsletter subscribers. To this day, it ranks competitively in Google, um, but there was no, there were no really super advanced marketing tactics I deployed. The reality was I didn't have a ton of time to do it because I had a day job. I've always had a day job while doing this. I've never had the luxury of just doing AMO full-time. I've always wondered what that would be like. What was the goal then? I know you said you kind of started it on a whim. Were you thinking about monetization? Was this more of like a, like a personal brand building exercise for you? How much of this was, was thought out in advance? It was a little bit of everything. So let's see, I, I launched August 2019. March 2019, Digiday had their publisher summit in Vail. And I went there with a friend of mine who runs a, an ad tech company, Freestar. And we, we were hanging out. And I said, you know what, I'm going to launch a podcast. I'm going to do it. You know, I thought if I launch a podcast, people will, you know, it's natural ego bait, right? People will be excited to come on the show because they want to talk about themselves. And therefore, that's a great opportunity for me to meet these people and build a relationship. We talked about it. He was like, that's so cool. Do it. Months went by. I didn't do it. You know, I was at another media company at the time and I was just feeling a little frustrated. So I thought, all right, this is a good opportunity for me to get my thoughts down on paper. Let me launch a newsletter. I'm a natural writer. I'm way better at writing than I am at doing podcast interviews. So let me do that instead. And so I just kind of started it there. No intention of monetizing it. You know, but perhaps in the back of my mind I thought, you know, I saw other people with Substack newsletters making money. I thought that would be cool, but I had no belief that it would actually be something monetizable. But it just started to it just started to work a little bit, but really, initial goal was just nobody knew me at all in the media space. I had spent five years at an industrial directory, boring as hell. I had spent four years at CoinDesk, you know, super interesting crypto media. But again, like our our approach to doing our you know running the business, we didn't do a lot of press, so no one really knew CoinDesk. So I just this was my opportunity to hopefully build a little bit of awareness so I could build some relationships. Brilliant. And, and looking back now, kind of like you, you talk a lot in a media operator in your articles about different monetization strategies and how maybe certain brands are doing it well and, and others are doing it maybe a little bit less well. If you were to kind of take the outside perspective, looking in on, on AMO as if you weren't working on it, how do you feel you're doing there, like in terms of how you've decided to monetize? I mean, just for context, you have ad revenue, I think I've seen in the newsletter, at least in the free, ver- free version of the newsletter. And the, the paid options currently are, it's I think $200 a year for the, the paid membership or $60 a yep. quarter. I don't think there's a monthly option. And then there's a $600 a year VIP option as well, which I think is basically the same as the, the normal annual plan, just with a, a free consulting call in there as well. Yeah. So I've never thought media, like covering media is a good industry to cover. Like over the past decade, all we've seen is media companies dying. So I've never felt that from an advertising perspective, it was a good model. Let's cover the industry of media. Let's get companies trying to sell to media companies to advertise. It just didn't feel right to me because media companies had no money to spend. So 
I pretty much knew from the get-go I, I wasn't going to sell ads. Not because I was against it, I just didn't believe it was possible. For the first five months, I had no monetization. Originally, when I did start monetizing, the only reason I flipped the switch is I started getting messages from people saying, hey, you might want to charge for this, this is really good. And then I found out from my CEO that I was getting a new boss. The company was growing, he decided to hire a president. I had already had permission from the CEO to run AMO. I didn't want to have to re-explain it to a new boss. So literally two days before he started, I just flipped a switch on how much I was going to charge, you know, on, on a paid subscription. I made up the price on a whim. Originally, it was going to be $100 a year. And then at the last second, I decided to hit a two rather than a one. No strategy whatsoever. But then I decided that, you know, for the initial two months, people could get it for $100 just because, you know, early supporters, let's, you know, let's get them in. You know, it's been going well. You know, I still have, I still track at about a 7% conversion of free to paid for a b2b media company i honestly believe that annual is the only good option but i wanted to give people a chance to taste what i do before committing and so you know i wanted to give some sort of a limit a, a more tight format but the issue with monthly is because i only write twice a week of which one of those is for paid subscribers there's not that many options to get a user hooked whereas with quarterly now it's 13 weeks so there's a lot more option there. I started to run, occasionally run some advertising because people would just reach out asking about it last year, but then towards the end of last year, it really started to take off. Like, you know, this year I've had in Q1, half of the week sponsored, which has been really a surprise. I actually am bringing back my own podcast in the next couple of weeks with that, with the same Omita sponsoring that. So I certainly have not gone out hunting for advertising but I am also not opposed to it. And if a company does want to advertise, as long as I don't think it's a crappy, I'm game. The big thing that I would change if, if I didn't work at Morning Brew is I would treat AMO as a bit more of a lead gen for consulting. The other thing that I would probably do if I'm looking out in is I think there's a great opportunity for an event in this space, bringing together niche operators. I think a lot of the other media focused events are too focused on the large media companies they are not focused on the niche ones. And I think that there's a real opportunity for someone to do something there. I've wanted to do it. I've had it circled in my notebook for a long time. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit crazy having two jobs. I don't know if I can do a third. Would you, in, in that case, would you remove the paid membership component completely? If I had an event or if I did consulting? Or just hypothetically, if you were like, you know, you're looking at this and you're saying, turn this into like a, you know, like a, a, a top of funnel thing for consulting, maybe with an event in there for the monetization as well talking about the sponsors and the advertising going well, if this were kind of your full-time thing and you were to jump in and this was your, you know, your goal to make this as big as possible. Because I, I guess what I'm getting at there is like AMO, it has the, the paid membership component. A lot of the value is genuinely kind of hidden and it's only available to people who are paying uh, subscribers. Whereas yep. at Morning Brew in the B2B stuff, even for like, I'm subscribed to Marketing Brew, that's completely free. You know, there's no kind of paid component there that, that, that I'm aware of at least. So what does that come down to? So for AMO, I, I would never get rid of the paid subscription. So I believe in a very specific funnel for creators, for the individual creator. And honestly, it's not too dissimilar to a media company, but as an individual, I think it really it really makes sense. You know, you need to, you need to acquire as many users up top. Now, some could argue that I should perhaps do the inverse of what I do and distribute my Friday pieces for free because it's my better content and then charge a subscription for like my news roundups and stuff like that. I've thought about that for a while. I 
I like the structure I have right now. I think I occasionally will give away a Friday piece for free to get people interested. But I think that having that free open top of the funnel is just, you, you have to, because you have to acquire users. But only a certain percentage are going to convert. Then from there, only a certain percentage would ever come to an event, right? So if I've got, say, a thousand paid subscribers, which I don't right now, but let's say I did, you know, let's say maybe I can get 10% to convert to an event, right? So that's 100 people, right? And then from there, how many of those are actually going to ask me to consult? 1%. So it's healthy to have those various steps, especially when you really truly look at it as a funnel. You know, and so the other part about AMO is I just don't, uh, while I'm getting advertising dollars, I don't really believe the ad market for media companies is strong enough to justify that as a primary business model. It's great and I'm loving it, but I just don't know if it's truly strong enough. For Morning Brew, our niches that we pick, there are millions and millions of dollars in advertising. You know, when we pick one of these industries, it makes sense for us to target advertising to begin with. But we're already beginning to move into events, right? We will. We have three summits planned this year, one for emerging tech brew, one for marketing brew, one for retail brew, where we're going to charge for tickets, which we've never done before. From there, there are a ton of options of where we can go. You know, we have our education business, which is a down funnel opportunity. Could we drive people to that, right? Could we drive marketers who want to learn very specific things to our skill accelerators? I'm sure we could. So we're starting to build out that deeper funnel paid product opportunity. So yeah, right now it's all free, but while we'll never charge for the newsletter, we will charge for other things. So that comes down, I guess, partly to just like lack of resources on, on, on your side as a, as a solo operator who's doing this kind of part-time next to their job. I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of offers and courses and events and stuff that you could put on that would, you know, mm -hmm. people would happily pay a lot more for, but in a way you've almost got to, at least at the moment, you have to kind of settle for direct paid subscription. Yeah. And look, you know, I have to tackle it from, you know, to your point, from like the perspective, you know, the position that I'm in. AMO is not my primary income. And so I need to treat it, I need to monetize it in a way that is lower lift for me. Could I be pounding the pavement for ad deals? Absolutely. If I was covering a different industry for AMO, I might opt to be free. We're seeing this with other creators who are starting to turn off their paid subscriptions because they realize there's more money in advertising if they just have a bigger list. Because ultimately, content leads to growth. Right. If I was growing, you know, 10% week over week, secondly, second I turned on paid subscriptions, I started growing 5% week over week or actually a little bit less, you know, that, that was instantly aware to me because of the fact that I had less content. So there are people who, whose niches are perhaps bigger and or more lucrative from an advertising perspective who are realizing that being free is better because they will make more from advertising. It all depends on your niche. It all depends on how deep the advertising bench is. If it's not very deep, I find paid works better. If it is very deep, you know, figure out a different paid product, perhaps, than just a subscription. I think that media companies are too excited about subscriptions. What are some examples that you've, you've come across then of people with maybe more of a broad audience who are doing a really good job at monetizing in a way that isn't just ads or, or just kind of paid subscription revenue. Obviously, Morning Brew is moving into the, more into the education space that we, we've mm -hmm. seen that recently. Have you seen some other examples, maybe also in the, in the B2B space of people doing interesting stuff on the monetization front? Well, I'm not sure. Let me think a little bit while I answer on the B2B stuff. But, you know, if we look at another creator, you know, this guy Mario at The Generalist. When he started The Generalist, I think he started it on Substack. He started it in the same wave of a lot of other people who 
got wrapped up in the, I have to do a paid subscription. And, you know, the idea was, you know, amongst all of these earlier Substack creators is we were just, we were hearing the talking points from Substack. Subscriptions, subscriptions, subscriptions. It's dogma, right? Like it, it, it's, it was ridiculous. The only reason I pushed back on it is because I have a media background and literally the first rule of media is to diversify. So a lot of these creators were so focused on, on subscriptions, except for one, and that was Packy, right? Packy has his newsletter, not boring. He, from the day one, he was like, you know what? I care more about growth than I do about subscription revenue. I'm not turning it on. But Mario, he was subscriptions. At some point, he realized that there was more opportunity and more revenue potential for him if he got rid of the subscription tied to the newsletter, opened it up, which he's done. And then he charges, like, I think it's three times more than he was charging for the subscription on a community component. And now he's only, he's getting fewer people, right? But he's getting the right people in that community. He's making, I want to say it's $600 a person. I could be wrong. He's making advertising revenue. And he's just his, I, I would bet money that his business is much stronger now because his audience was a little bit broader. The advertising base is a little bit broader, right? There was a bit more of a psychographic tie to the audience so he could, you know, get the right advertising mix. And then he had his community component where he could spend more time on that because he was earning that much more per subscriber or per member. I think that's a smarter, you could see it with the every guys, right? They were originally all in on subscriptions. They still are in on subscriptions, but now they're now they're selling ads as well, and it's it's great for them. They're making legitimate revenue on advertising. Their readers don't care, and this gives them cash to run their business. So all, both of those are good examples of like the creator evolution, right? From it's got to be just subscriptions to now it's advertising. Most B two B media companies they do both, and for B two B media companies they should absolutely do both because they're more focused. When you start to lose focus, it gets harder to charge for subscriptions because otherwise you're competing with really big institutions and you're just not gonna create the right level of content that's gonna justify the subscription cost. For B2B media companies, we have been, by design, we are niche. And because we're then able to just focus all of our energy on that specific industry, we can provide the, the hopefully can provide the quality of content required to, you know, to support a subscription. So for B2B, being diversified has always been the, the business model, you know, and then you throw in events, which we've also cared about for years as well. So something that's interesting to me there, when, you know, when you, when you talk about like the different ways that you can monetize, especially with AMO and you're not having the time for that, a trend that we've seen recently is individual creators, maybe who have like a, a full-time job who are then partnering up with, I guess, for want of a better term, operators. Uh, mm -hmm. Workweek might be a good example of this, who are taking care of uh, all the technical aspects and the growth, the marketing, the operations, and letting publishers like yourself basically focus just on creating the, the content and getting rid of sort of all of the, the more, bo more boring, more work kind of work, I guess. Is that something that you've thought about doing? Do you think that's a trend that's going to kind of be successful and continue? So Workweek's model is interesting. It hasn't, it hasn't yet really proven its model yet. As far as I know, and I actually intend on having Adam on my show to learn more about it, they acquire various media companies and creator-led media companies and basically let, yes, let the creator focus on what they're doing. 
whereas they focus on the behind the scenes stuff, right? They handle the tech stack, they handle the sales and operations. They jointly res are responsible for audience development since for creators, again, it is so much focused on individual promotion. Uh, again, and, and for that model and for what, you know, Adam and Becca are doing, it's gonna be a grind like anything else. My biggest, my biggest concern with that model is the vast number of industries that they're in, none of which are probably truly at scale means it's harder to sell. But in this year, I'll have seven B2B publications and the sales team supporting that is like 12 people, I think, by the end of the year, not to mention all the operations, right? So we have an ad ops team, we have creative studio, we have all of that. So that's the hardest part is trying to sell all that. When it comes to smooth ops or any of these other players, you know, and smooth ops comes from Morning Brew alumni, the real difficult part there, and smooth ops has already made the pivot. They were originally focused on back office and now they've focused their energy on just ad sales. The real struggle with that model is you still need the individual participating, the individual creator participating in a lot of this stuff, right? Like, you know, audience development, you can't outsource audience development. You can to some extent, I guess, but like it does still require your involvement. Ad sales, that's one thing you can outsource, but you're giving up a cut, but perhaps that, you know, it, you know, would you rather a a smaller cut of a bigger pie or a bigger cut of a smaller pie kind of conversation or, you know, one is better than zero or whatever you, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use. The generalist style back office thing is not a good model. I wouldn't have somebody quote unquote run my business for me. Like I am the creator, but I'm also the CEO of my business, right? Like I wouldn't, but giving up control of that just doesn't seem like it's in the best interest of what I'm trying to do. I don't think it's in the best interest of what any creator is trying to do. Now, the model that I think would be very interesting is if somebody came to me and said, Jacob, let's do an AMO event. We will take care of all the logistics. We will take care of everything. You just need to promote it to your audience. You need to help us to design the agenda. And then you need to show up on the day of the event. And we will split the money, whatever we split the money. I'd be interested. Because what you're doing is you're giving me a net new business. You're giving me something that I cannot do on my own. I don't have a ton of faith in these outsourced back office providers. Because ultimately, like, what do I need? I need someone to manage my accounting, which I already have an accountant. I need somebody to handle ad sales, which is a focused part of that. What else do I need? Like, my tech stack's taken care of. I'm doing my own audience development. I just, I'm not very bullish on it. Interesting. So, so I, I guess kind of related to that, then how do you see there's a risk for you as a solo operator with, with AMO that isn't present with, with, with Morning Brew, right? You have a much mm -hmm. larger team there. The bus factor at AMO is one, right? You're selling primarily these, these annual subscriptions, which in effect is, is kind of a, a commitment to continue producing one or two newsletters a week, mm -hmm. maybe a podcast for the next 12 months. I've spoken to other creators before who do feel to a certain extent like they're on kind of like a, a golden hamster wheel of a kind, yeah. right? It's it's great, but how do, you, how do you get off? Can you get off? Can you even take a break for a while? How do you think about, about that? Does that like weigh on you? Do you have escape routes planned if needed? What does that look like? So first off, yes, all of those emotions that those creators feel are 100% true. I don't feel as if I can ever shut AMO down. Now, technically I could, right? Like I could just say to everybody, I could turn off new subscriptions, I could turn off renewals, 
And I can say, listen, like I'm going to run this out until the end. And then that's it. Thank you so much for playing. Or I could just return the money, right? Like, because this is a side hustle, like I could, I could afford to return the money that every, that everyone's paid for their subscriptions. For me personally, I've been a writer now for 15 years. You know, when I was in high school, my mom would beg me to write college student loan or student loan, like grant letters, applications, you know, trying to get like free money to go to college. Rather than doing that, I would write SEO copy for five bucks for $500 or 500 words, uh, which is a penny a word, which is absolutely atrocious. But like, that's how I got started writing was, was just doing that. In college, I did the same thing, but I was making more money. Even when I've had a day job, I've always done freelance writing on the side. I've always liked having an outlet to just get my thoughts on paper, even though I was writing at that time about crap I didn't care about. But my real true passion ultimately is building media businesses. So for me with AMO, this is my personal blog where I'm getting my thoughts down on paper about what I think is important in media. It's also an opportunity for me to to process things I'm thinking about for my day job. And in the process, people are paying me. Uh, a dream would be for this thing to get large enough that if ever I don't want to work in Morning Brew, I could just do AMO and it just be a very comfortable lifestyle business. Now for other creators, the risk that we have all put ourselves in is people subscribe to AMO because they want what Jacob is thinking. It's the same for every other creator, right? Like Ben Thompson at Stratechery, people want to know what Ben thinks. What we have to figure out is how do we evolve our publications to include more than just ourselves, right? So perhaps that means at some point we have to hire a second writer. Maybe 75% of the content still comes from me, but I have another piece now coming from somebody else. At some point, these creators need to start looking at themselves as media companies, and they need to start hiring people to contribute some of the content. You can still own the editorial vision, but until you remove yourself as the pure reason or the only reason that somebody subscribes, you don't have an out. Even worse, selling your publication is not a possibility. Nobody is going to buy AMO unless I commit to staying for a certain number of years, right? So, you know, the only real way that I could ever sell AMO is if I had a team under me where AMO is no longer Jacob. AMO is a publication serving digital media companies. Then maybe I could sell it. So, you know, creators are right to feel that way, but that's the point kind of like if you if you've decided that you want to be a creator and own your business, well, welcome to owning a business. A lot of small businesses in, in, in the world have are just solo operators, right? Where like like a plumber, for example, he might be by himself. And like if she or he don't want to make any like don't want to work, they're not gonna make any money. The only way to get out of that is to hire people. But that comes with cost and that comes with headache and then you start to institutionalize your thing. And next thing you know, you're the media company you wanted to run away from. Did you plan for that future at some point, like in some way in advance, because you do see people who have very strongly personally branded newsletters, right? You, you even from, I'm assuming even from day one, you had this, this AMO brand, or did that come later? You weren't writing under, under jacob.substack.com, for example, was that always in your mind or, or is that something that came later? No, I've always, 
I have always believed that you have to do something with a brand name. I've launched a, a bunch of blogs in my life. It's never been Jacob's Thoughts. It's always been, you know, whatever the topic of the blog was. I have always believed that brand matters, right? And it, it, it is a brand that is greater than just me. So I launched with that in mind. I think a lot of creators have launched with that in mind, right? Like they, 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 they have picked a name other than themselves. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I like that. If we were to be sitting here again and having this conversation in, in a year or in, in two years time, what do you think are some of the trends that are you're starting to notice now in the media space, especially when it comes to audience growth, revenue growth? I think for more broad level media companies, there's going to be a reckoning from a subscription perspective. I just don't think people need that many general subscription products. They just, it's just not a thing. I think for niche media companies, and this can still be consumer, we'll see success with, with subscriptions, but I also think we'll see a real revitalization of advertising. With the third party cookie starting to die, with Apple blocking any sort of tracking for the first time in a long time, media companies are actually in control. They finally can say to advertisers, look, you don't really have a better option than to work with us from a contextual perspective. And hey, you know, because media companies are trying to get smarter, we also have all this first party data that will help you with your advertising as well. So I think that's going to continue to play out. I think we're going to see a lot more media companies leaning into that. I've written about that exhaustively to the point that you know, I'll jokingly ask my girlfriend on a Thursday, hey, what should I write about? And her response will be first party data because I've written about it so many times and she's she edits my newsletter. So she's so tired of reading about it. But I think it is probably one of the most important things media companies can get right. If they really focus on capturing that first party data and understanding who their audience is, that is monetizable. And I'm not saying you have to sell your data, but you can sell advertising against that data. And that is, can be unbelievably impactful. So it has already started. We are already seeing media companies doing it. We're in the process of getting ready to do it at Morning Brew. It wasn't a priority for you know a, a while. I think that's a trend we'll continue to see. The ad market is bigger than it's ever been before. There are tens of billions of dollars in, in ad revenue out there. Why wouldn't we want to capture some of that? And the fact that there are media companies out there who bill themselves as subscription only it's just it's naive it's immature it's just users don't care they pretend they care they say they're anti-ad but they don't care as long as you respect them and don't blow up their computers with digital landmines like if you actually give them a decent ad experience users don't care i expect to see that trend continue to happen and if it doesn't i am more than happy to take as much of that ad revenue at morning brew as i can because we <laughs> are more than happy to run advertising. Our ads work, our partners love us, and if other media companies wanna poo-poo advertising, that's 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 the, to their own detriment, because it works. Awesome, well, you heard it, <laughs> I guess not here first. It's, it's interesting to me how this stuff comes around. It seems so cyclical, people talking about advertising revenue in, in publishing companies, and then also this trend where everybody's adding in like the little games into the, mm -hmm. the newsletters and into these digital media brands is like, I don't know, we seem to be seem to be copying what newspapers have been doing for the last couple of hundred years and sort of refinding all that stuff again. It's the newspaper it's was a great format, right? Like what made newspapers great is it was there was a beginning and there was an end. And 
you can get a complete product right there. That's why the newsletter is so great because again, it's the top to bottom. That's it. There's nothing else but that. So the newspaper format was fantastic. The mistake that people make with newspapers is they looked at them as media companies. They were actually manufacturing, printing and manufacturing shipping companies. And they benefited from geographic monopolies. Once you got rid of the need for a geographic monopoly vis-a-vis the internet popped up, then suddenly they had real problems because they had all of this fixed cost associated with that monopoly, right? Like printing presses are unbelievably expensive. And when there were more advertising options, well, you went with what worked the best, which was Google, not the newspaper. But a lot of what the newspaper figured out, you know, with games, which we do at Morning Brew, with a start and an end, which obviously we have, that all, that all makes a lot of sense. You know, it, it's it, those are the right things to do. Getting people to pay for content. Like, pe- media companies are acting as if subscriptions are this whole new thing. No. You used to have, like, 10-year-old boys on the corner yelling, you know, buy your newspaper for a penny, right? Like... People have been paying for content forever. It's not shocking. I think what shocks media companies is the fact that they have to create great content to get people to pay for content. And that's, I think, is a different thing that they still struggle with. But that is, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. If people want to continue that conversation and maybe pay for some, some high quality content themselves, <laughs> uh, where, can they, where can they head to? Yeah. So, um, you know, like you said, amediaoperator.com is where I write twice a week about building digital media businesses. I've actually set up a coupon code for people who re- who are listening to the podcast. Just use the coupon SENDGROW to get 10% off your first year subscription to AMO. That's S-E-N-D-G-R-O-W. And yeah, you'll get access to a Slack community where other media operators ask questions and just chat with each other. I hear the real action happens in the DMs, which means I don't know what's going on. I can confirm that there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in those DMs. It's uh, a fun place to be. Very happy paid member. Well, brilliant. Thank you, Jake, so much for for joining me and sharing some of those thoughts. Um, Excited for the return of the podcast. And yeah, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Send and Grow podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three quick ways that you can show your support. Number one, leave us a five-star rating or review in the podcast app of your choice. Number two, email or DM me with some feedback, with your questions, or with suggestions for future episodes. And finally, number three, share your favorite quote from the episode on social media and tag both me and our guest. All of the links for that are available in the show notes, and whatever option you choose, I am really grateful for your support. Thanks, and see you next week.